Hi, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. What's going on? Oh, not much. Just, you know, getting through, getting through the winter. How was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was good. I think when you have low expectations, it's actually usually better than you anticipate. Of course, like so many others, I wasn't with the family I'm typically with on Thanksgiving. It was just the four of us, but we had a really nice dinner. We had a great weekend, um, did a lot outside. The weather was beautiful. So I've, I've nothing to complain about. And I feel like this Thanksgiving for me, and I think so many others, it was an opportunity to take stock in what you have. And gosh, I've never been more grateful for my health and for my family. And even though we couldn't be together, I felt um, selfish to even think about complaining about it, given what's going on. So I would give it uh, a beat. A B. You know, and if I had a great a B, and I think that's in a solid B. Right. Um, right. But one thing I got to do on Thanksgiving Day that was normal and it was super exciting. I ran a race um, after Ken Racine was on our podcast, which you did an excellent job with his interview. I listened to it and he talked about his client races. And I was like, I've actually never looked up his website to see what races he has because they're not typically advertised on our typical race. Um, platforms like Run Washington. So I went and looked and he had a couple on Thanksgiving Day. So I signed up for one called the HCC Thanksgiving Day Race. And I signed up maybe like four days before Thanksgiving because I had to see the weather. And I just figured if the if it was too crowded or I felt uncomfortable, I would just um, go up there and run on my own and then drive back. And it was in Hagerstown, which is about, it was about a 45 minute drive on a Thanksgiving morning with no traffic. And um, it was really nice to put a bib on for the first time since March. The last race I ran was um, the Reston 10 miler in March, right before the shutdown. So it's been a really long time and I haven't done any speed work through this pandemic. It just didn't feel great to me to do it. I've just been running all of my runs easy. I've had consistent runs, but I haven't been running as much as normal and certainly not at the fast paces I typically do to train for 5Ks and whatnot. But um, it was so fun and invigorating to put a bib on. And um, like Ken talked about in our podcast a few weeks ago, when you spoke to him, Lisa, all of his um, percussions were terrific. They did temperature checks. They had people lined up to pick up their packets six feet apart. The race started in waves of uh, very few people. I think there were a total of, I think the final number of racers was like 175, but um, I was only around maybe 10, 15 people when I went across the start line. They they delayed the start with each group by seemed like 20, 30 seconds. And they asked people to wait six feet apart, spread out with their masks on in the starting area. And it was at a park. So they didn't even have to close streets. And um, I started in in a way that where I was able to socially distance from everyone, kept my mask on. And then once I crossed the start line, there was no one around me. I ran my own race. I think I passed a couple of people. A couple of people passed me. When that happened, I put my run farther and faster buff above my nose. And um I, I had a great time. I ran very joyfully. The weather was great. I think I finished in like 2130 something, which is about 45 seconds off, you know, my recent better 5k. So I actually wasn't upset at all about my time. I was happy to be out there and felt like it was what I could do with what I had and drove home and had myself a nice Thanksgiving. It was nice to have 
a feeling of normalcy. So uh, thank you, Ken Racine, for putting on a race and allowing people to get out there and run safely. It was a lot of fun. So how about you, Lisa? Uh, well, first of all, that sounds like an awesome that you get to have kind of your um, traditional Thanksgiving because normally you do a five can Thanksgiving. So you really yeah. did get to have part of your normal Thanksgiving. So I think that's great. Um, ours was quiet, low key. Um, we've spent the better part of the last um, couple of weeks getting our basement ready for winter cycle training. Um, winter, like everything else, our, our winter training for cycle is going to look a little different this year. My kids are on a team and typically the team trains in a gym, in a spin studio over the winter. And that wasn't going to happen this year. So the coaches have been working really, really hard um, to get everyone up and running on Zwift. And for those who don't know what Zwift is, I, I'm still learning. It's a very steep learning curve. Zwift is a virtual cycling world and you can ride with your friends. You can ride with people all over the world. You um, can ride by yourself. You can, uh, it, but it is actually, it's, it's actually cycling gamified. So it's a game and you can earn points and you can score different gear and you can race and you can do training plans. It, it is so robust and so um, very, very, like I said, steep learning curve. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it. Um, but that's what the training was going to look like for this winter for the kids is uh, and on the team. Uh, they're going to be meeting up with their teammates and their coaches on Zwift. And so we had to get the basement set up and it took a lot of research. It took a lot of understanding the, the technical specifications. We had to get an Apple TV uh, we, and also figure out connections for three since three of us will be doing the training um, or doing the ride the group rides at least or at least two the kids and then if I join three of us it took it took a lot of, of research and understanding and I joined some Facebook groups that are specific to Zwift and really learned a lot from those and um, so we've been working on it and one of the fun parts of it was that we uh, had decided to decorate the basement a little bit more like a gym and so we bought a gym floor uh just from uh from home depot like a interlocking gym floor and for for many many years i've been saving race bibs for at least eight probably ten years i've been saving race bibs every time i come home or any of us come home and we've done a race we take it off and there's a big i have a big like big huge ziploc baggie that we've been keeping them in for years and we just take them off and we slide them in there uh and i always thought in my head like that would be fun one day to you know, use it to decorate a wall or put it up as wallpaper or some some idea. Like I thought we would use it for something. And we had a big blank wall in the basement and we decided we were gonna put them up there. So I got some spray adhesive and uh, we sat one night and went through all the bibs and put them up on, found the way to make, make them all fit nicely on the wall. And it was so fun to go back and look at all the bibs. Um, you know, we have tot trot bibs in there from when the kids were little. We have uh, the Disney, um, the Disney races that we did and the kids had done the, the Mickey mile. And uh, so it was really fun to go back and look at the bibs and say like, oh, do you remember this race? And oh, do you remember doing this? And we have races that aren't even in existence anymore. The Halloween young runs. Do you remember the Halloween young runs in our area? RIP. <laughs> Yep, my kids loved every year. So we had those bibs. So it was really, it was a really fun, uh, fun project. And we got those up. And when we were done with that, Alex was kind of looking around saying, what else can we do? And he said, you know, you've saved all your medals too. And I just had a, a big shoebox up in my room. And he said, you've saved those too. Why don't we put them down the stairways? And he even figured out we should put them, we could put nails up and put them four inches apart. And this is how we're going to do it. And he got really excited. And so um, that's what we did is we put nails up in the wall and hung a bunch of the medals. And then the kids decided they wanted LED lights. 
So we ordered LED lights off of Amazon and we put them up around the room. And uh, it was funny. It was funny that was, we had gotten it all set up and it was so much fun to have it look really neat. Yeah, we hadn't done any training in it. So I said, all right, guys, we've done all the hard work. Now we really, I mean, we've done all the, like, the fun work. Now we have, now we actually have to like go down here and train. And actually last night was the first night the team had a meetup on Zwift just to get familiar with it. And we're using this, you can actually set a group meetup. So it's just your group. Um, there are other people on the course, but you don't see them. You just see those in your group. And we can do a workout together and we use Discord, which is an app that you can use to talk to others while you're playing games. Like my kids have used it for other online games and we use Discord and we can talk to each other. Uh, so we don't, we could see each other if we, some people choose to use Zoom. You can see each other through Zoom, but most of us are using Discord. And so we can talk and we can, it's, it's just still blowing my mind that um, we can do this. Like we can all train together virtually in our own homes. And it's, it's a good example of a silver lining of the pandemic, what it's, given us the opportunity to discover new new ways to do things and um, you know while being in person and being with teammates and coaches is always preferred when we can't do it this is a really fun option and for us it's been really fun to go down in the basement together as a family and ride and race each other and uh, work out with each other and encourage each other and it's a fun way to spend time together. So I, I'm loving it and I'm I'm really happy with it. So that, that was like kind of our Thanksgiving project, our Thanksgiving weekend project. And I'm really happy with, with how it came out. Well, it looks amazing. I love the pictures that you posted on Facebook to share the progress. And it just really, um, I loved it too, because of the timing just two weeks ago when we were recording our favorite things podcast, you casually mentioned on the podcast, oh, my medals are still in a box. And I think it's so cool that um, you transformed your basement just the following weekend and did all the things you did with um, your kids' help. And it looks awesome. So congratulations. Thank you. So now, like I said, now, now we actually have to go down there and train. So that's the motivation. Yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather decorate some more. I'm like, what else can I do? So, yeah. So, so speaking of winter training and virtual winter training, uh, we are excited to announce our winter virtual program. We had such a good fall strength program that we transitioned to virtually and it really went well and feedback was very positive and um everyone improved in their mile times so yeah do you do you um just want to talk briefly about like overall the improvements were incredible like our program is was just spanned over a couple of months and the improvements were really incredible. We yeah, have I don't have the stats. I have to go and that's what I was going to do. We have a call tonight to kick up to wrap up the season and I was going to go calculate some statistics on improvements and percentages improved. Um so I haven't done that yet, but everybody improved their time. I mean, from from just one second improvement uh to over a minute improvement. So right. all you know, span the gamut and I would say the ones that were smaller, like one or two seconds are people who are very fast to begin with. So even a couple seconds is a bigger percentage. So, um, and, and the feedback was really positive. We had some great guests on our calls. We had really phenomenal strength routines that everyone had access to from our trainers that we work with. And yes, just one, one last shout out to those trainers to thank them, um, which include uh, Christy and Eric Deru of Prime Fitness, Kelly Redman of Team Fit Training, and Anthony, Dr. Anthony, who was on our um, on our call from Rehab to Perform. So thank you to all of them for contributing to the workouts that our runners just really love. They involve strength and mobility. Yep. 
So it was, they were simple, easy to do at home, but effective workouts. And it, that really complemented our program. So the feedback was so positive, people want to continue. And so we are going to be doing a winner program. And this is for, um, we're, we're calling it uh, Strength and Stride or Stride and Strength. I forget which order we put it in. Uh, and uh, I think, I think it's strength and stride, strength and stride. So we're going to continue the emphasis on strength, especially over the winter. And that's something you can do inside, but we're going to build on, uh, build some mileage and build a base for spring. What we hope will be spring races to come, but even if not just some spring fitness. So we focused in this, uh, speed and strength program on shorter distances, but really sharpening that speed. So now we're going to build some endurance and work on speed endurance, which is more tempo work. So some longer intervals at comfortably hard effort and build lactate threshold. And that really is what's super critical for performance at any distance over a very short sprint. So that lactate threshold is determines how fast you can run for a longer period of time. So we really want to increase lactate threshold continue to work on that strength. So we have two kind of subgroups in the program. We have a 5K slash 10K group. So that's going to build up to more of a 10K um, endurance. And that's for anybody who's already running a couple miles, three days a week. To, any pace. Yeah, any pace. Um, doesn't have to be fast. Uh, doesn't have to doesn't have to be slow. Um, and then the second group is a kind of 10 miler to uh, half marathon build. So again, um, somebody who's maybe running 20 miles a week or more and is, uh, is looking to start to build that endurance and fitness for the spring. So for either a spring half marathon that may translate into later a later 2021 marathon. Um, and again, it's going to be, uh, I forget how many weeks, it, it goes through February. And uh, same thing, weekly Zoom calls, we'll have strength, strength uh, routines, strength videos to incorporate and just again the support the coaching support that seemed to be really seemed to work really well for our speed and strength program yeah it's about the same it's it's nine weeks um and it goes till february 28th so the end of february and um like our speed and strength program it is not individualized but we do believe if you follow the program you can progress and we continue to offer individualized private coaching to anyone that has separate individual goals that they want to work on specifically. We are always honored and excited to work with anyone who would like to work on their specific goals with us. And we continue to really enjoy that, especially during these times. We've seen huge improvements among all of our runners because you know what, this is a really good time to work on development and work on yourself. And um, when other things in life are unpredictable, being able to run and set individualized goals for yourself is very comforting. So we've really enjoyed working in that process with people, whether in our group programs or individual programs. Yep. And the registration is open. It's on our website. It actually is 10 weeks. I just, just double check the, the count. It's 10 weeks. So December 13th to February 28th. Oh, okay. um, and the registration is $110 and the registration is open on our website. So if you just go on our homepage, there is a direct link from the homepage, but you can also go under the winter virtual strength and stride page. And there's a link to registration there and we'll get that kicked off on the 13th. Yeah. So anything else going on, Lisa? It's about it. <laughs> just running with my running with my uh, white paws run myth now because it's getting cold and I have been super happy with these run myths. So we were very excited to talk to the founder today on our podcast. 
Yeah, we were super excited to have Susan Clayton on. Uh, we just got off the call with her. She was an incredible guest. And when we started doing our favorite things episode and featured White Paws Run Mitts, um, we knew we wanted to have her on, not only because she's a local Black female entrepreneur in the running space, but also because her story is really interesting and she shares a lot of the nuts and bolts about what it means to have an idea and implement the idea. So for anyone out there, whether non-runner or runner who's listening, who is an entrepreneur, has an idea or knows an entrepreneur, this is a really great episode. And we were thrilled to have Susan take the time to come on and talk with us. She's a very busy woman. She not only owns her own company, Run Mitts, but she also is owns a hair salon in Baltimore um, that she's owned for the past um, 30 years and is very successful at that entrepreneur endeavor as well. So she's certainly got a lot going on and we greatly appreciated her time today. So uh, without further ado, we will welcome Susan Clayton to the podcast. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at julieandlisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. We are so thrilled to welcome today Susan Clayton, the owner of Run Mitts. Susan, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this. <laughs> So Susan, we found you because as many of our listeners know, we did a favorite things podcast a couple of weeks ago. And one of the items that we talked about was um, these mittens that we love called run mitts. And what we loved also about them is that the owner, you, you're local, you're a local gal, and you are a woman entrepreneur. And we wanted to bring you on to tell your story because we think it's really interesting and inspiring. So, Susan, uh, before we get to your specific story, can you share with us a little bit about you, where you grew up, what you do, and when you started running? So, um, I'm from Baltimore. I grew up in the Catonsville area as a kid, and then we moved into the city when I was in high school and stuff. So, But I went to a predominantly all-boys school, so... We did not have any sports for girls. So I didn't do track, which I wish I had because my brother was a big, was my brother was a track, you know, he did track all through high school. So, but we had nothing like that. So I didn't really start running until I was probably in my late, I mean, early twenties. And it was more just for exercise. I think I ran in heads. That's, that's, that's when I started running. There was like no specialty shoes, no nothing. And I just ran just for exercise, not for anything like I was trying to be some track star or something like that. It was just more exercise. And to be honest, I didn't even know that people ran races who weren't professional. Like you either ran in school or you were like an athlete in hot college or something. But I didn't think people ran races. And then like probably about like think in the night in like the late 90s. 
I did my first race with my brother. <laughs> and it, 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 it's so from there. So I've been running for a long time. I'm older than I appear to look, but I've been running for a very long time, but off and on. And what's your favorite uh, now? Now that you you're in your forties um, or fifties, I can't tell. Fifties, fifties. Okay, you look amazing. By the way, for those who can't see, you look amazing. You're right. You look Thank very you. young. Um, so you've been running for about thirty years. What what are some of your running accomplishments, and what are what do you enjoy the most? Um, I probably prefer like five Ks and ten Ks the most, only because um, I just like I like to get it over with. I prefer. I have done quite a few half marathons when I really got into it after, like when I started running with back on my feet, I got into like half marathons. And never done a marathon. I'm not really, probably will never do one. I've, there's like a part of my head is like, you should do one. And then there's another part that's like, no, you shouldn't. So, and I follow the no, you shouldn't, but I prefer like the smaller races, the faster ones. Do you have any favorites, like specifically favorite races that you like or events? Uh, like every year I try to do, there's one here in Baltimore called the Celtic Solstice and it's crazy. It's always cold, but I love that race. It's like, I don't know what it is about that race. I love it. I also like to do like the Baltimore Women's Classic. I coach for that. So I would do that every year. And of course, you know, the Baltimore Running Festival. Those are like my three favorite races. I don't run in the, I don't race in the summer. Uh -huh. If you see me at a race in the summer, you're going to be like, there must be a charity. <laughs> there must be a really good charity that you're sponsoring because there's no reason you should be at. <laughs> it's funny. People generally are like summer runners or winter run have like a preference for one or the other. Julie and I both prefer the warm weather. That's why we love the mittens so much. That, uh, but uh, we like the warm weather. So talk to us a little bit about your coaching. You got into coaching along the way as well with Back on My Feet. And so tell us a little bit how you got into coaching and, and your involvement with Back on My Feet. Um, so I started, I don't know, it was probably like a year after they, they opened their chapter here in Baltimore. And one of my neighbors was running and I just wanted to have some more consistency in my running and I figured if I went with a group I would be forced to go out and they're always trying to get people within their you know within their volunteers to do a core um part either you know coaching or leading or you know some other things within the organization and I was there every Monday Wednesday Friday so they were like Susan you want to coach and I was like I don't know how to coach but I will do my best and I felt like I wasn't like this great coach as in like, I knew all the steps on how, like you guys, you know how to coach people to be a better runner. I knew how to coach people to motivate them to continue to run. Like I was one of these, like I kind of went from what my experience was, was start off and what my brother taught me, which was start off slow. And if you have energy at the end of the race, that's when you kick it in. And so that's how I coach these guys. Cause I felt like most of the, people within back of my feet are men and they're you know they want to run with the fastest kid on the team and you can't when you're just starting you have to start off slow so I would be in the back and be like no you can't run yet you gotta run you gotta stay back here with me I was the slowest one so I was like always made the guys stay with me <laughs> and forcing them in and I, I coached for with them for probably like two to three years and I, I loved it but you know just kind of got to the point where they wanted to switch people out and I was getting a little burnt out. So, and then I started with um, Baltimore women's classics. Like every year they have 
same thing. I'm not like this great coach, but I'm a great motivator. I feel like I do the same thing with them. It's like people come, women who've never raced before will come to us and, you know, they want to do this it's very inspirational motive, you know, if you put a good word, like encouraging type of race where women just kind of sponsor, you know, support each other. And I'm the same way with that. It's like, I want you to finish the race. So I encourage you, like, you don't have to be the fastest. You just have to finish it and try your best. So we would say you are actually an excellent coach. You say that, you're not, you know, you're not a great coach. That's what a coach does, though, is motivate people <laughs> and understands what's going to help them get to that finish line. So mm-hmm. we would say you are a great coach. That's oh, you thank know, you. I'll you, take that. <laughs> you've made, you've made uh, I'm sure, a big difference in a lot of people's lives, just getting them to the finish line. So. Yeah. So outside of running, so you've now shared that you've been running for 30 years. You're also a coach, but in addition to that, you have two jobs. So first share with us your initial job before you became an entrepreneur, um, which also involves being an entrepreneur, I would imagine. (laughs) So yeah, I um, started doing hair I'm a hairstylist and I started when I was in my early twenties. So I've been doing it for close to 36, almost 40 years now, getting to the point where I'm thinking of retirement. And, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's crazy. Like people ask me like, what made you start open your own salon? I was like, and I tell people I wanted health insurance. <laughs> it's, and it's like, that was the thing that was, we could not get health insurance from our boss. And so we open, it's, we've, it's been the same thing for the last, we've been in business for 26 years. It's just been me and my business partner. And we, we have had the same philosophy we started with that we are ending with is quiet, intimate space. You feel comfortable when you come in and we still have health insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that was, um, you know, it's, it, it, I think that a lot of times people get into business thinking they're going to become like the next Amazon, the next Google, the next, you know, Microsoft or Apple, whereas you can have a very small business and sustain yourself for 26 years and be happy and content, but you're, you know, you, you're going at your pace and you're just like with running, you're going at your pace and it would, would motivate you to keep going. Um, so that's that in a nutshell. <laughs> Did you and your business partner um, kind of maintain the same philosophy about your business over the past uh, 20 something years or did it evolve as your business um, changed and the times changed? No, it's pretty much been the same, which is, you know, it's so funny because we always are getting people like you should expand, you should expand. And it's like, but we're happy and we're, you know, everything's working and we're not and people even are still amazed that we're still business partners and we don't fight. And I was like, yeah, we fight. We just try to keep it, you know, we don't fight in front of customer. That was like, when we first opened our, we had like specific rules. It was like, we do not fight in front of customers. Uh, we want to keep the place, you know, nice and you know, like a, a calm environment. Like our business is downtown Baltimore. So most of our clients are lawyers and, um, you know, investment people. We get a lot of people from the hospital. So we want it to be when they come in the door that they feel comfortable. And it's not this like crazy, crazy place that you have when you have these big salons where so much stuff going on and, you know, all these different attitudes and, you know, personalities. It's just, just me and Mads and we're just, 
it's quiet. We play soft music. We don't play like crazy music. We don't have TVs in there. And, and we've stuck by that philosophy and it's worked and people like that's our brand, you know, that's what, that's what we want to end in. And that's what our brand has always been. Um, and we don't, we, I tell you, we fight and <laughs> some days I'll be so mad and I look at her and I was like, and, <laughs> and, and I know it's like, I cannot say anything in front of a customer. So all day. And then later that day, I was like, when I want to talk, I'm like, what was I mad about? <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the day you like totally forgot what you were mad about or you sit around and you think well I was mad because she didn't fold enough towels and then I was like well I didn't fold enough towels and I left hair in the middle of the salon so you know you kind of like, you have to get past some of that you know and I think that's what happens it's always been it's always about business and making sure that we have a business and that this is how we support ourselves so don't take it too serious and don't get so upset about stuff that is not that important What's the name of your salon in Baltimore? It's called Clark Morley Salon. So the name came from our mother's maiden name. So again, like we're in the financial district and we wanted a lawyer, you know, a lot of law firms. We wanted it to sound sort of more professional than, you know, Susan and Mad's place. (laughs) That's great. I love that. not going off too too much, but I have to ask what um, what's it been like for you during COVID, and were you able, um, for the most part, to um, implement COVID precautions because it's just the two of you? Was it a little bit easier for you? It, yeah, it was. Um, so we we had to shut down for we shut down for ten weeks, and it, it was stressful. But I figured we would we would figure it out. I did a lot of um, you know. We got a grant. We we did all the things that you're supposed to do, but um, it's just the two of us. We now only work three days. So Madeline works three days, and I work three days. So we're it's only one of us in there with a client at a time, and you know we make sure we keep everyone safe. We both wear PPE. We make sure that they wear PPE. Um, and there's not a whole lot of people in there. It's just me. Like the only time it'll be somebody other than me and the client is if it's that person's husband or child. So like we'll bring a household in the, in the salon, but we won't bring extra somebody who's not within their bubble in that, in their, in that circle. Only in the salon. Got it. So what, what do you say to people who are listening, who are afraid to um, go to a salon in these times? What, what would you tell them to look for? And, um, what advice would you give to them? Well, I would look and see if they have any kind of um, COVID protocol. Like we have it up on our website and it's paragraphs of stuff that you have to, we do. We clean before and every client, before and after every client. Um, I would look to see what they're, you know, if to make sure that they have PPE, that they're, you know, just following CDC protocols. And, and sometimes you can think about like, what was your salon like before COVID? Was it, was it clean? Was it safe? Did you feel like, you know, like God, have, have they ever swept the floor? You know, think about that. It's like, what if, that's one of the things that we, we've always pride ourselves on trying to keep it as clean as possible. And if it wasn't clean before, it's probably not going to be now. So I would be, so very I would check I would ask a lot of questions before I went in and you know and I was one of those kind of paranoid people even before we started back up I was like I don't know how I'm going to do this I'm not comfortable going back to work um 
we, we even waited, like we closed the week before the governor said we had to close and we stayed open, I think, and we opened later than, than even, I think, cause we were in this Baltimore city. So the mayor here said we had to, we stayed open. We stayed closed like two weeks after Governor Hogan said we could open. But I mean, and I'm still, you know, apprehensive about, I'm, I don't take, I don't take new clients. Like you have to be referred from someone. Um, and you know, and if you are new, it's, I'm just a little more picky than I was before, so. That makes sense and very smart of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so tell us, um, shifting gears a little bit, tell us how you came up with the idea for Runmits. How did this, how did you decide to pursue this and, um, you know, go into a an, into an area or into a, a an industry or at least a, a product that there are a lot of you know running gloves out there. So what 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 prompted you to 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 do this? Um, it was back, you know, when I was running with back on my feet because you know we meet at five thirty in the morning, three days a week, and it's you know, it, it was cold. I mean, at 5.30, I don't care what time of year. I mean, in the summer, of course not, but it's always cold. It's, and I was miserable. I would always, I found, I tried um, the convertible ones that had like the finger, you know, like separate fingers and they worked sometimes, but then, um, you know, when it was, it was bitter cold, I mean, we, we, and because back on my feet is one of these things like we run it's up until like 10 degrees we run in the snow we run in the rain so you had to be prepared for all that and I just would get in the car afterwards and my hands would just be numb and like especially my thumbs and you know I was just constantly looking for mittens that were the right ones and then I would switch to just regular you know, big old thick mittens and they worked, but then, you know, like, like you said, it's like you run a couple miles and you get hot, you take them off and you run a couple miles and your hands get cold again. So it's like this back and forth. So I was like, I've got to find like convertible mittens that work and find the ones that just had like, that didn't have the finger parts. I couldn't find them. I was like, why is it so difficult to find this type of mitten that I want? And then one day I was out running and a friend of mine had on a pair of nasty old socks. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's got to be a better way than that so I knitted up a, a pair and just like just like without the convertible part and then I did one with the convertible part when you and say convertible part can you describe to listeners what you mean by that so it has like the flap on the top that flips over your fingers so you can like either cover your fingers or uncover your fingers um, and most of the gloves that have that have like a thumb attached to it, you know, they're, they're just regular mittens with a convertible top. Um, and my problem was my thumb was always really cold and it would just feel like I could barely bend it. And I think as I got older, you know, you get been doing hair, my hands were more sensitive, my joints are sensitive. So I was just having a lot of problems and I had him wear a couple pairs and he's like no this isn't working so I then I lined them with fleece and there was like all these different prototypes and then one day I said you know what I'm gonna see if I can get a patent just like fluke and I called a patent attorney I was like I want to try to see if I get a patent on these mittens and she's like well we'll try and it took wait let me years. back up let me back up for one second okay. so there's two things already that I'm thinking that's pretty amazing First of all, you, you had a prototype in your mind and you actually knitted it. Yeah. That's step one. Okay. A lot of people wouldn't even know where to start with that. So 
that's a gift you have clearly that you're glossing over. You knitted your prototype. Yes. <laughs> and okay. then I sewed in um, fleece. I sewed fleece in because because of the you know it's knitted. The air was going through the holes of the knit, and I was like, okay. So then when we went into production, we stopped with the knitted part over it just to make it easier and simpler to produce them. We just use fleece now. Okay, so then step one was you knitted. Step two was then you thought, I'm going to patent this. You called a patent attorney. What was that conversation like when you called the patent attorney, and how did that work for people who are listening who are entrepreneurs? So I was very, very lucky. I got a great patent attorney who was um, young and just was like, sure, we'll try it and see what happens. You know, like they'll take your call, and they'll see if you – like they're not going to ask you for money up front. Like they're not going to say, okay, even for me to take you on, I'm going to ask for money. They don't start asking for money until they start trying to patent it. Until they start, you know, doing the work to see if there's a product that is, this is product's already out there. That's when they start. So they start doing the research for you. And it's a slow process of, like, I think people think, oh my God, I've got to come up with all this money. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not a lot at one time. It's a lot over a long period of time. So I think that's what scares people off. They think, oh, I want to get a patent, but I've heard that it's like thousands of dollars. And it is, but it's not this initial hunk of money up front. So over a three-year period, this money was doled out. So every time they did something, there was an expense. Every time I applied, there was an expense. So because I had another job, I was able to finance that you know that endeavor so people get scared off Hmm. yeah was that so it sounds like it was kind of a slow process in that first you have to you know inspect to see if there's anything else out there then you have to put together the patent application that has to be submitted it has to be accepted your patent has to be issued so that's sounds like how so was that a three year did it take three years that process yes it took three years and during that process were you already producing them or were you or were you waiting until you got the patent to start putting producing them I waited until I got the patent to start producing them it's you know it's a very simple pro I mean product it's not like this you know it's not some tech thing where it's like all this integral information it's not this great design I mean it's a nice design but it's not like oh my god this is it's not technical. Easy. It's not too technical. It's not super technical. And I knew that because it was so simple, it was easily um, duplicated. And so I just figured to protect myself, I was going to just, you know, since it wasn't out there, I figured I'd do what I had to do to protect my my little invention. Yeah. <laughs> was it hard for you to keep that secret from everyone? Yes. 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 Especially yeah, my business Three years is a long time. Like, three years is a very long time. And there was a lot of very stressful days because like it takes, I think it took three times to, to apply before it got, you know, accepted. So you're, you know, you're waiting for them to accept, you know, to look over all the paperwork and then there's like, no, that didn't get accepted. Then you change some things and you rework some things and no, that didn't get accepted. And so it's like three years of just like a lot of emotional ups and downs, but I had a really good, like I said, I had a good firm who believed in me and they were like, we'll do what we can to, you know, and they were, most patent attorneys are not going to keep doing something if they don't think it's going to work. Like they will do their research and they're not going to just keep stringing you along if they don't think it's going to work. 
That's good to know. Okay, so I'm sorry to interrupt. Just real quick, I heard you say it was hardest to keep it from your business partner. I, I can yeah. imagine that would be very tough. You work physically together and you're you're working. Also, you're, you're commingling your funds for your joint business, yet you're starting another business yeah. and you're using was, your current business to fund the business you're starting. That must have been. It wasn't the business that I was using. Um, it was just my pay from. Right. My, Sorry. My pay, not, not the other business that was funding it. It was just like, you know, because she was funny. She was like, you just seem so stressed out. And I just thought like you were worried about money because you're always, you know, like you're just so frugal and everything. And you were so worried about money. And I was just like, wonder what's going on. And I was like, this is what's going on <laughs> when I finally told her. So, yeah. So what was that like when you finally got the patent? What was the next step then? Like, how do you, how do you start producing these? Like, what do you, how do you do it? <laughs> so. Um, one thing that I was trying to do while I was waiting was just looking up, um, you know, manufacturers, listening for everything, trying to learn as much as I could before. I wish I had done more. Um, I wish I'd done more research before I started. I did a little bit, but I didn't do enough because I just wasn't sure if it was going to happen. And then at one point I said, you know, what, I'm just going to figure out how to do this. And I think if I had done more research over this, three years it probably would have been a better start but you know you, you don't know what you don't know and I'm glad I kind of did what I, you know it's like you learn from your mistakes and you can grow from those mistakes um there's a website I tell people now it's called Makers Row and it has like all these different um like manufacturers and fabric you know producers and furniture producers like anything you want if you're a maker you can go in there and try to find it and I found manufacturers here in Baltimore for the first run and again it's like I think that with a lot of especially in like manufacturing if you don't know the terminology and you don't know what you're talking about you will get taken advantage of by manufacturers and I did have like a lot of that first one. I mean, they did a good, they did an okay job, but it was just like, I just always felt like they were doing me a favor. And I was like, you know, <laughs> but um, the second, and I, this is, I'm actually on my third manufacturer and it's always been here in the States, but I've left Baltimore. Now I'm producing out of New York, which um, I found a manufacturer who does, who makes mittens, gloves that's like her specialty is gloves and she, you know trust me when I first met her I was like oh my god <laughs> this woman does stuff for like celebrities and the theater and movies and tv shows and she's been make my mittens you know <laughs> and so I'm very honored that she even took me on as a client and and she's really helped me to grow the business oh and we just started this year and it's just with her helping me get what's in my head onto a product has been just great. So, and it, it sometimes it just takes time to find those like the perfect fit. No pun intended. So tell <laughs> us, right, tell us about your product line right now and what she's uh, what you've developed and what she's producing for you. And have you had to get additional patents? No, I haven't had to get additional patents. Mine's patent is just on design. So whatever fabric, whatever thing I do, it doesn't matter. That doesn't have to worry. I don't have to worry about that. Um, and the thing that she did for me that helped, it's like, I think you guys got like last year's 
so 2018-19 model. This, um, I'm gonna get it one just to show you the difference. People won't see it, but I can show you and talk about it. So this is the new one. It's hard to tell the difference, but it's wider here. And one of the things- Okay, so it's it's wider, the width, the part of your hand that's the widest, the, the mitten right. is wider. Knuckles. Like the, the, the knuckle, whatever, the knuckle. Right, can you see yeah. like the difference? It's like- Yeah, I can see. And that's yeah. what I was having trouble trying to explain to the other manufacturers, like, what was and I kept trying to say like what was bothering me when they were making it and that they just couldn't see what I was talking about but going to someone who produces mitt gloves knew what I was talking about and knew how to adjust the pattern to accommodate that um also she did like great new labeling for me yeah I like that um and then we put like the patent and information inside the you know like because you, you know it's like if you're you're outside you don't want a lot of labels you don't want stuff rubbing so I was trying to eliminate as much of that as possible so I didn't want like a little tag in it so we put the size and the patent inside um just so it's just soft um and then what else so she helped me with the mask and then um I wanted to make like a a lighter weight mitten and finding sometimes like finding that right fabric and it's not that it's um, like the fleece fabric is very, that's like, I use polar text fabric for like most of the mittens for the fleece always. But finding another fabric that I can get consistently, that's the problem. Like sometimes you get it and it's great one year and then you can't get it again or you can't get the color or you can't get this. And it's like, oh, I love that first one. Well, I can't find that fabric like, anymore and you can't get that. So trying to find something that was consistent and um, we found one that I can get the fabric all the time. So it's not going to be like, well, this year it's this and next year it's something different. It might, the colors might change, but the fabric can be consistent. And that's the new lighter weight one, the one that you just came out with, the lighter weight one. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's neat. I'm excited yeah. about that. You also pivoted to making masks, of course. Right. And, you know, same thing with, like, the, with the mittens. It was, like, something I just closed down for two months. And what do you do when you're just sitting around the house? <laughs> so one of my neighbors is, like, we should start walking. And, I mean, I think we walked every day for two months, like, and it just kept, we would walk around. At first we were like, we just walked around the neighborhood. Like we didn't even walk outside of our neighborhood. We were like, oh, it's too many people over there. We can't walk there. And probably after like two months, we started venturing out further outside of the neighborhood. And, um, but we've been walking every, now we've gotten to the point, like we walk everywhere. We're like, well, let's walk to the farmer's market and let's walk here. And one Sunday, I think we went to three farmer's walk markets. Like we just walk everywhere now. So, um, yeah, so that's when the math came in. It was like trying to find something that was comfortable, that the straps kept, I was afraid, like I had like just a basic, you know, one of those cloth, not cloth, the paper ones, the disposable ones. And like the first day I wore it, the strap broke. And so I was just trying to find something that was, you know, all one piece, that the straps wouldn't break. It was comfortable. And then she helped me I mean, I was like, I want something like this. And, you know, again, we came up with a fabric that worked. And that was been super, super successful with that. 
How have you how have you um, kind of decided what tweaks you want to make or what additions you want or what kind of variations? What are you getting feedback from people? Are you just coming up with ideas like what you know what and, and how do you see that moving forward? Do you think you'll come out with more variations? Um, probably more variations of the mittens. Um, usually it's feedback from people like somebody might say, you know, I um, I live in a warmer, I love your mittens, but I live in a warmer climate. I would love something that's lighter weight. And then I'm like, okay, let me see if I can figure that one out. Um, with the mask, it was like, I knew that when summer, when winter came, that people were probably going to want gaiters, which I had been thinking about for the last couple of years, just trying, again, trying to find a good fabric to, to use. And, you know, like the ones that I've had in the past, they just, I never really liked them. So I'm not, I'm not a big gator person, but I've said if I could find something that I could I could tolerate, I wouldn't mind trying them. So, you know, we just used the same fabric and switched it to, you know, and started making gators. And then it was like, I just had, because I, I sourced the fabric here in the States, it's easy to get colors. So it's like, somebody might say, can you do some red or do orange or do this? And I'm like, okay, and it's just like, I'll tell the manufacturers like throw some pinks in there throw this and then like one was like one of my neighbors who works at shock trauma said can you make pink masks for shock trauma and I was like sure why not and you know we sat and looked at the different swatches and said let's come up with shock trauma pink and then someone was like well what about oriole orange and you know and raven purple so if you throw out a color I'll try to you know if it's something I think will sell I'll put it out there but as in like expanding the line, it's like I get that question a lot, especially from um, business people and, you know, venture capitalists and investors and all this stuff. They're like, well, what are you going to do? And I think they all want me to become like Under Armour. And I'm like, can I just make mittens? <laughs> you know? you know? It's like, it, like I add to the line as I feel something needs to be added, but not just adding just because I feel like I need to have this, this big line of things I feel like when you do that you kind of lose track of what you started your company to be and it becomes like all about trying to make like the next best thing whereas I try to I want to make the next best like increase make the product better make the mitten better make the fabrics better that kind of thing opposed to how many you know selling t-shirts just because you know I should be selling t-shirts you know because everybody sells t-shirts and there's nothing really different about them so, yeah, it's consistent yeah, with your that. with your philosophy of your of your salon business of keeping it right. you know true to you and what your you know what your what makes you happy and not trying to expand it just to just to do that and because you know people are telling you you should expand it I think Julie and I can relate to that very well <laughs> we're both nodding we are, our heads here we are not Lisa and I are not talking to each other right now but we're both thinking the exact same thing and <laughs> what you're saying resonates with us because there's an expression um, that the happiest people are, are happy with what they have and they aren't always looking to what they think they should have and um, at least just talking with you over the past um, few minutes, it's very clear to us that you are successful in your business because you are happy with where you are and you don't take for granted where you are. And instead of always looking to what you think you should do or what's next, you you sit sort of in where you are right now and enjoy that. And I, right. I think that's awesome and such good advice. 
um, and, and role modeling. <laughs> I try to talk to like, um, like I'll go to colleges or I'll go to high school and I talk to kids about like entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I think, again, like I said before is, you know, people look at businesses as these big conglomerates and that it can't be something small and, and easy and comfortable, not easy, but you know, it can't be something that you can just be happy with. They always want you to do something bigger. And I was like, sometimes you just need to be able to say, this is something that I did and I built it. And like, I was at this one school one time and it was like, you know, at risk kids. And we were talking about it. And one girl was like, well, I like to sew. And I was like, so you know what you do? You, you sew, you teach other people how to sew. And then the next thing you know, you're producing, you're making my mittens. And people don't think like that. Sometimes they don't look at things like that. And I think that that's what we need to instill in our kids is that, you know, you don't have to have this like grand idea. You can like, we have some kids in our neighborhood that are just amazing me. Like one is 12 years old. He's like, I want to start washing cars. I mean, he's washed my car. It's never, it looks brand new when he's done with it. He's 12. And then another kid, I was like, I need some, he's a, you know, just started high school and he's a photographer. And um, what does he do? Like, film and photography and I was like well I need some product pictures can you take some for me and you know and they, they came out great and it was just, I just needed something for I needed something quick and I needed something now and I was like I will pay you know and to pay him he was so excited I mean he's 14 and then I said to him he came in and got his hair cut and I was saying oh my god I need a battery for our new our iPad is dying he's like oh another kid in the neighborhood, he can fix that too. Another 14 year old can put a new battery in my car, in my, but they're starting these like little tiny businesses, these little micro businesses. And they're, you know, they're, they're so excited about it. And they're not thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the next Bill Gates or I'm going to be the next, you know, Steve Jobs. I just want to make enough money so I can buy an e-scooter. You know? (laughs) And I think that that's where some people need to just think, and not always thinking that it's got to be some major thing. I just had a, um, just got out of this uh, accelerator program and, you know, we had these different mentor talks every week. And one of the guys that I spoke to, I mean, he, I'm not even sure what his company did, but whatever it was initially, they sold it for all this money. And he's like, well, what do you want to do with this? And all this stuff. And I was telling him and he said, that's what you should do. Stick with what makes you happy and don't try to do something that somebody else is trying to make you become this. He says, and if your company is only making this amount of money each year and you're happy with that, then that's what it should do. Don't try to make it this, you know, like these, these, I hear this all the time, venture capitalists, like it's gotta be a $5 million company in the next such and such years. And I'm like, but why? (laughs) You know? Right. only because it's for you so that they can make money but it doesn't matter like if you sell your soul because you're trying to satisfy somebody else and then you're miserable right or stress yourself out or work so much that you you're, you overextend yourself I mean you've got another business this is your a passion an idea you had and so if you've got you know if it's I think you started out at the very beginning saying with your salon you know it sustained you and it was mm-hmm. it made you happy so if that's you know that's that's why that's why we work is that you know so <laughs> that we can be sustained in our lifestyles and and you know uh, so that's uh, I think that's a really really good perspective for entrepreneurs in particular that that yeah. It doesn't have to be the next biggest thing that's going to sell for a million dollars. Right. 
So switching gears, but related, um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the fact that you are a black female owned business. And um, recently uh, there was a big article in Fast Company that reported that women of color are starting more new businesses than ever. Yet in the running space, there really continues to be a substantial lack of diversity in women, especially women of color owned business. Um, why do you think that is? I think it's probably, you know, um, I wish I had an, a good answer for it, but I think it's just, just proximity to being able to, people, people look at what they know. So if, if you're in a space where, you know, if you're at a, you know, you're looking, I remember like going to running stores and people would look at me and I'd see if they wanted to carry my mittens and they'd be like, well, I don't know if our customers would like that. And I'm like, well, could you at least ask them, you know, before you just say, and I think that they don't look at, you know, it's like, this is what I know. This is what I've seen. So that's what I'm going to go with opposed to trying something new and innovative. They'll just stick with what they know. And if that's all you're seeing, then that's what you know. So, I mean, when I go out and go to runs and stuff, it's like, that's what I see. Um, you know, even like, you know, I know there's a big push on runners, runners world to have more diversity within their pages. And it's like, but if you go to a race and that's all you see, then, you know, and I think that just the idea of getting out and running, I think that it's, it's not, it's not promoted so much within the black community. I don't know. It's starting to, but just thinking of like the different types of sports that are promoted. It's more team type sports opposed to individual sports like track and or if it's if it's anything it's more track and field not distance running and that's what seems to be covered in most sport you know running stores magazines and stuff like that it's distance running and we're just not we're just not out there that much but you know I'm I will just try anything most of the time well, I mean, you, you've not only been out there for 30 years, but you've also been coaching and been a leader yourself in the community. So if um, I'm sure you've inspired many people to get out there, but you're only a person of one. Right. So uh, what, what do you think? And given what's happened over the past eight months, I'm sure you've been asked this question, but we'd be curious to hear, do you have any opinions or thoughts on what the running community can do better to support and amplify black owned businesses and, and diversify the running community? So I think that a lot of the smaller companies, we're just kind of, you know, it's funny, like I, I look at like what happened and I, I don't want to put bring like politics into this conversation only to just say that it's dominated the conversation over the past four or five years. That's what you hear. It's like, whatever side you're on, it's just dominated. And small companies like mine, we don't get amplified because there's so much other things. Like if, if I had started this company probably seven or eight years ago, you prob I probably would have gotten more traction, but there's just so much other things that are going on in the world that it's just like small companies just aren't going to get the kind of traction you do but you know what you're seeing it's, it's funny because I somebody wrote an article recently I think it was in the Wall Street Journal and every article every company that they mentioned and it was talking about running in the winter and every company that they mentioned was 
a big company. It was like Nike, it was Brooks, it was Under Armour. And it was like, well, they don't, they're not trying to find, you know, if, this, if, if reporters and people writing the articles and the influencer aren't trying to find smaller companies, then they're, you know, you got it, you know, like I'm constantly on, I'm trying to be as one social media as possible and doing as much interviews as I can just to get out there. But it's, it's a, like you said before, it's a big, it's a big space and there's not a lot in that, you know, trying to break into that big space is really difficult. So you have to have something that's different. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like I have been successful breaking through is because I have something that's different. It's not like, I'm not just selling leggings and t-shirts and, you know, socks or not just socks because Bombas is definitely doing something. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I'm just, I'm not selling just the, I'm selling a, a different product, a different design. So that's why I'm getting some traction, not because I'm, and I think a lot of the other companies, I'm not really sure what the, you know, it, it's, you're not going to get a lot of traction if you're just selling leggings and your leggings just happen to be a different color, you know? Right. But I do think based on what I've seen on how you get your name out there, I think you've done some unique things. So do you want to maybe talk about some of the things you've done to get your product out there that, that are a little different than traditional, a traditional sales pitch? So I think it's more, um, I mean, I try to get out as much as possible. Like I'm, I'm tell you, like when I first started, I was, I talk a lot more now. When I, if you had met me probably four years ago, you would have been. While it's, I've definitely grown a lot in the last four years. I was afraid to talk to people. I would go to, I went to expos, and I would try to take people with me so that they would talk. Like I would get a friend who would, who would talk because I was like, I don't want to talk to people. Or I take my husband, and I was like can you go to me with this, to this party or to this event? Cause I don't want to talk to people. And he would go in and talk to everybody. And then he would, you know, open that door for me to walk through and say something. But most of the time I'd be like standing in a corner, not talking to people. So I just had to force myself to go to like accelerator programs and race expos and whatever thing I could get into. I would talk, you know, if someone asked, for an interview, I'd be like, sure. <laughs> so I, I was doing all those like grassroots things that a lot of, you know, like I didn't do a lot. I did some advertising on Facebook and Instagram, stuff like that. But mostly it's been um, social media and race expos and just relying on the kindness of friends and family and strangers to, to talk about the men. <laughs> Word, word of mouth spreads. We, I, I know I had heard of a few people who um, I met you at the Rehoboth Marathon oh, Expo. I look forward to you every year coming there to, you know, they go, so they go with their list of, of what, what they need to buy. Do you have any, um, I don't know, um, either mentors or, um, you know, networks that you have that are for either small business owners or minority small business own that you connect with, that you share ideas with, or that you, um, that you get ideas from, like, do you, do you have anything like that? So, um, I start, one of the places that I go is like, um, the small business resource center, which is here in Baltimore, um, small business administration has a, a service called SCORE and they have mentors there, but you, it's, um, I have a, a small, a coach that I use, her name is Yvonne and she, it's, 
I, I try to rely on the, you know, one of the things is like, I do have, because of the salon and our client base, I have a lot of mentors that I've gotten from them who have, you know, who are in a different sphere, but know a lot of people. And, you know, I rely on them heavily. So it's mostly like friends and family that I use as mentors, but I do have a few that have just, you know, I think they saw something in me that I didn't see and they pushed me past what I thought I was capable of doing. So, and, you know, a lot of, I've done some pitch contests that, again, have shocked that I even like got into a program, but then shocked that I won the contest. So, what did you win? So, last year there was a program called Zero to 100. It's like a accelerator program where you know, just starting you from like, you have zero dollars and you're trying to make a hundred, you know, over a hundred dollars. So there's a Goldman Sachs program called, I think it's called zero to 10,000. And I just didn't fit the criteria for that one. So this was like, okay, this is for smaller companies. And then they had a pitch contest and I won that. Then there was wow. another one in the, it's with Eastern Shore, um, Salisbury State, they have an entrepreneur pitch contest. And I didn't win that one, but I came in third place. But, you know, all these things, like if you're trying to fund your company and you, you know, you don't have like friends and family that have that kind of money that can just give you money, <laughs> you, pitch contests are a really good idea because it's like you might not win, you might come in first place, you might come in second place third place some of them most of the time you might get some money you might not get a lot but you might get some and if you do them all the time you might get a lot and then last weeks ago I won one that there's a program here called open works it's like a maker space have you guys heard of that it's like I haven't um, I haven't heard of this is like all new to new news to me and I think <laughs> a lot of our listeners who are maybe contemplating doing something like this I you know that that's really helpful information to know that these programs are out there so OpenWorks is a maker space where you can, you know, you can rent like a little space and they have like 3D printers or they have a textile, comp I mean, studio, they have um, printing studio, they have woodworking. So if you're a little, a small company, you can use their facility to make your stuff there. Um, and they had a pitch contest a couple of weeks ago that was based on PPE and I won that, but again, shock. That's called OtherWorks? Open works. Open works. Okay. Got it. We're going to put it in the show notes. Um, and you won that too. Yeah. That's amazing. And so every time you win these, you're, you're not only winning some funding, but it sounds like you're winning capital of people noticing your brand, noticing your product and making more connections. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I enter stuff just not you know like one of the one the one thing that I got from one of my mentors and it was, it was so funny I did this um business course it was all online and it was the first time I'd ever done anything like this like everything was online and we just it was great because we you know I connected with all these younger you know these young companies and we're like we're all sitting around like crying to her like this sucks I don't know what I'm doing why am I still doing this and one day she had you know given me this like assignment to like send letters to like all these different run stores across the country and and like I had to do like 20 a week and I was like all right all right and I got nothing but no 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 and I was like I just get a no from everybody this sucks and she was like yeah but now they know who you are 
And so I've taken that philosophy with everything. It's like, I might get a no, but now you know me. <laughs> so I love that. And you might say yes, or at least the next time you see me, you'd be like, oh, I remember you from that, or I saw you with this. So a lot of times I get into stuff just and knowing I'm not going to win, not super prepared, but just to get out there and just like, um, you know, tell my story and across a bigger network and see what happens. And again, it's like now as it's elevated, people will remember like, oh yeah, I remember her. She did a really good pitch. She didn't win, but she did a good pitch, <laughs> you know. Or they meet somebody yeah. who's looking for somebody like you and they say, oh, I met this woman through this. You should talk to her. So that's that's how it happens right. is, is expanding right. that network. That's really... That's, so that's every no is a pop is a somebody remembering or saying no to you that they wouldn't even have known about you before if you if they because at least now they've read about it and they're like oh well it's not right for us but like you said I can pass it on to somebody else yeah that's important so it's amazing to me you wrote to all these running did any running store since then say yes are, are your run myths sold in any running stores so right now the only place is um, Charm City Run in Colombia, and I stopped looking for um, stores. So 2020, 2020, I like at the end of 2019, I just said, I, um, I'm gonna re rethink my business model. And I was so busy trying to get into stores that I wasn't trying to do like, um, you know, business to consumer. I was so busy trying to get into like these big stores, like, you know, all the running stores, Dick's, all these, you know, Runner's World. I mean, what's Road Runners? I was trying all this and I was trying so hard and getting this, you know, whereas I wasn't focusing on something else. And then I said in 2020, so funny, it's like at the end of 2019, I had like all these grand plans and then COVID hit. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm going to focus on e-commerce. I said, because that's what I'm, stores are closing People aren't going, people are buying online. So I'm going to start focusing and try to make that the best, you know, focus and make that more successful. And I think when I decided that things changed and I haven't been focusing on getting in stores, um, I'm just trying to make e-commerce the best. And I, I think I, again, it's like, I've read a lot about different companies that were, that started and that's all they do is e-commerce. So I said, why, why not me? And even... Nike and Under Armour have changed their business model for this year. They're both doing more um, e-commerce. They're dropping some of their distribution and they're just doing e-commerce, their stores, their brand within their stores. So it's like, well, if the big companies are doing it, why should I should be doing, I should be following their, their lead. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's interesting how the timing worked out because of course, 2020 is the year of e-commerce. Um, so that was a, a great decision. But at the same time, it seems crazy to me that, you know, we're always encouraging in the running community to support your local running store. And here is an opportunity for local running stores to support a locally homegrown business and or and a women and a, and a woman of color owned business. Like it's such a it would be such a good marriage of so many goals within the running space. So we hope that at some point as your brand continues to grow, you won't have to work hard and a locally owned running store will carry you. You deserve yeah. that. Um, it's like Charm City Run has definitely been, um, they've been very supportive this year. And again, it's like, I think that I, I, 
I don't do a lot of races, so I'm not out in the race community. Like, it's so funny, like I'll be out walking or running and somebody, and my person that I run, she's like, you know everybody in the city, don't you? I was like, I do, but it's because I've coached everywhere and, you know, I like coach with back of my feet. And I also do uh, run with, I before COVID, I was a run coordinator for a black girls run. So I was, you know, like I know all these people in the city, but I don't know, they know me, but they don't know me like the runners, like the people who are racing all the time, the elite, you know, not the elite runners, but you know what I mean? Like the people who are racing, who are, that's all you talk about. Like I'll see some, some podcasts and stuff. And I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. Cause I'm just not, I'm the runner who does it for act for, you know, to keep in shape and, as social not because I want to run a, I want to win a race I'll never win a race but I was like but I'll be 80 by the time I qualify for Boston <laughs> well you got to run that marathon first That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but um I think that's one of the things it's like because I'm not out in that space so much so I, I don't I don't run, I mean, even though everybody knows me, but they don't know me in that kind of a space, so. Well, we hope that today's conversation will um, make others aware of what you're doing, how you did it. Um, You were certainly a role model to Lisa and me, and and I'm sure so many others. Um, Just your story is very powerful and it's very inspiring and we so appreciate your time. Is there anything you want to share with our listeners about Run Mits and where they can find it, find your product and um, anything else about you? So um, you can get the products at my on the website, which is runmits.com. Charm City Run in Columbia does carry the Run Mits and some of the other, and they do carry masks. And I think the one in Fells Point carries the mask. Um, support back on my feet. I love that organization, even though I can't do as much as them. It's just such a great organization. So if you need a charity, you want to try to do some work for this year, I would, you know, tell people to get out there and do that. But, and look for our new lighter weight run mitts this year. And I just have to say, Susan, I was telling you this before, but I ordered them online. And first of all, they came super fast with a sweet little note from you on the, you know, a little handwritten thank you. And I was telling you this earlier before we started recording, but these are a game changer for me. So I know we've talked a lot about you and your business and how you started it and the product, but I just wanted to say it is really right now in the winter for me. And as somebody with Raynaud's, and I know a lot of runners have Raynaud's, um, it is a, a total game changer and really the only thing I can wear now that actually keeps my hands comfortable. They get really warm, but the great thing is that then you can flip it down and let some air in and it's, they're, they're perfect. So, um, I, I highly, highly, I can firsthand vouch for them and they are become my go-to item for the winter. So I thank you for going forward with that idea and pursuing it and finding a way to keep our hands comfortable. Because like you said earlier, when you're, when your hands are cold, like your whole body is miserable. And we tell our runners that a lot too, that the key to winter running is keeping our extremities warm. And this, this, I could never find anything before that was um, versatile. You know, I could find stuff that would keep my hands warm, but then it was hard to flip it. You know, when they got too warm, how do you take it off? Or my thumb would be cold because that thumb would be out on the, on the side and um, separate from the rest of the hand. So you really come up with an amazing product and uh, high, 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 big thumbs up and highly recommend. So really hope more people 
add them to their winter running wardrobe. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm glad you like the handwritten note because one of my mentors was saying something about like, I have to, you know, give off, you know, someone has to do some more work for me. And I was like, but I like doing that. That's like my favorite thing to say, you know, write that out. And he's like, well, you can't keep doing that. And I was like, yes, I can. Maybe you need a stamp or somebody to just like learn. No, your signature. I, it's like, and I, it, you, I go out and I find like special color pins because I want like different color pins and nice pins. It's like, it's like the one thing that I do that I really enjoy is writing, saying just like, thank you to everybody that didn't buy something. Well, it, it definitely stuck out in my head. And it also, I think, um, makes people want to come back and do more business with you because they feel connected to you. So oh, thank you. That's, that's an important part. Don't lose that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Susan, for your time. We know firsthand from everything you shared how busy you are. And we so appreciate it. And we so appreciate you. So thank you for coming on our podcast today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.